Welcome to the Deep Bible Studies Podcast, where we discover, explore, examine, and practice the Word of God. I'm your host, Claudia Rivera Guevarez, and today we will be going through the second part of John 5, 31 through 47. This one's going to be very theological, and let's just say I got very convicted, so let's just get started. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. So like always, I love that our Lord has a purpose behind everything he says and does. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. John MacArthur explains the miracles of Jesus were witness to his deity and messiahship. So they were not a mere show to put on to impress people. Instead, they were to actually fill John 20, 30 through 31, which says the purpose of this book. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. Again, like we have talked about before, name in the Bible means being, personhood. So believing in Jesus' name means believing who he is as God the Son, as the Messiah Israel awaited, and the gospel. And so genuinely believing in his name means repenting and trusting fully in what Jesus has done. As 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-10 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. That's so beautiful. This means, as Charles Spurgeon once said, you stand before God as if you were Christ, because Christ stood before God as if he were you. Namely, he took our punishment for our sin, and therefore we are credited his righteousness and adopted and reconciled to God and adopted into his family. Verse 37 then says, And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. The Father's bearing witness about Jesus and who he is is very clearly seen in Matthew 3, 13 through 17, which says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him by saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is very clearly fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies such as Psalm 2-7, which says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And from Isaiah 42, 1-2, through 2, 
which says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. These were prophecies in which the people of Israel anticipated, as we have talked about many times before. They established the messianic expectations, which the Father clearly gave witness to because Jesus is God. He is God the Son and the Messiah. There is such unity in the Word of God because God is a God of order. I also would like to point out that even the resurrection is a witness of the Father, for it is showing that Jesus is God, for he is over death, but also that the sacrifice made for our sins in which we deserve to be punished for, and yet he took it upon himself and bore the wrath of God so that we might be credited his righteousness and be in relationship with God. Isaiah 53 10 says, it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. This is what the Lord's will was, and it was fulfilled. Because again, God is sovereign and Jesus is God the Son. And I want to end this little explanation with a Charles Spurgeon quote, which really struck me when I read it the first time. It says, Oh, hear the piercing cry. What can it be? My God, my God, oh, why hast thou in wrath forsaken me? Oh, t'was because our sins in him by God were laid. He who himself had never sinned, for sinners sin was made. So if God the Father is a witness of the truth of Jesus, why do so many like the Pharisees refuse to believe in him? And why even many today refuse to believe in him for who he is? Verse 38 says, And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So as we saw from the last episode, the scriptures themselves are witness to Jesus. The Jews sought the scriptures constantly, and they failed to truly surrender and repent of all of their self-merit. So they may only trust the source of, that the scriptures themselves point to, which is Jesus. It's Christ. John Piper explains why we in and of ourselves refuse to, as Jesus said, come to me that you may have life. John Piper says, this is why Jesus began where he did with Nicodemus in chapter 3, which we talked about. So if you want to go back to chapter 3, you can. He said, you must be born again. Your deep wants must be transformed. The Holy Spirit must come into your life and take away the deep rebellion against God and his word and replace it. Verse 40 then says, I do not receive glory from people. So I believe that John MacArthur explained the contrast of what the Jews thought, what the true God glorifying Messiah was by saying, if Jesus agreed to be the kind of Messiah the Jews wanted, providing miracles and food along with political and military power, he would receive honor and glory from men, but Jesus only sought to please God. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. So John Piper further explains Jesus' answer to why man refuses to believe by saying, You have never heard God. You've never seen God. His word is not in you, and you do not believe in him. You read the Old Testament, which points everywhere to me 
speaking as if he were Jesus as a fulfillment, but you do not see it and you do not believe it because you do not want to. I do not need the glory of man to complete me or to still my craving because I love God and he is my satisfaction, but you, you do not have the love of God in you. You do not love God. You do not find satisfaction in him. You don't receive him. You reject me. You want another kind of Messiah, the kind who comes not so humbly, so lowly, so full of implication for the death to self of his followers. So you do not receive me. The question has no answer in the text because the question is really a statement. You can't believe while you are enslaved to the craving to receive glory from one another. You can't believe. That's not only to the Jews speaking to him, but that's really to us too. The reason why the scriptures really applies in our personal lives is because it reveals the unbelief in our own hearts. What is the cause of your unbelief? Ask the Lord to search your heart to reveal the deep sins because really this is a sin problem. All of us share this. And we see this actually in the next verse. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So the Jews and us equally, let's be honest, cannot refuse to believe and come to Jesus, as verse 40 said, because we love our own glory, the glory of man. We love to be glorified. You guys, I'm so incredibly guilty of this. Is this not what our culture today is about? Quote unquote self-love. Love yourself first so you can love others. False. That is not biblical. We already in and of ourselves adore ourselves. We think of ourselves all the time. We want the best only for us. It's human nature. I don't need to be taught that. No one needs to teach me to be greedy or selfish or prideful. It's a package deal in and of myself. A.W. Tozer once said, to be specific, the self-sins are these, self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and a host of others like them. They dwell too deep within us and are too much part of our nature to come to our attention till the light of God is focused on them. The grosser manifestation of these sins, egotism, exhibitionism, self-promotion are strangely tolerated in Christian leaders, even in circles of impeccable orthodoxy. They are so much in evidence as actually for many people to become identified with the gospel. It is not a cynical observation to say that they appear these days to be a requisite for popularity in some sections of the church visible. Promoting self under the guise of promoting Christ is so currently in common as to excite little notice. You guys, this was written, I think it was 1945 or 1950. How much has that been emphasized today in the church and outside of the church? This is horrible. And I specifically wanted to add this last part of the quote because it's so true. I mean, ask yourself who the most famous pastors in America are today in 2020. If you thought Joel Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, or Stephen Furtick, I want you to ask yourself what they all have in common. They preach the self over Christ. They preach a gospel where God wants to give you all the desires of your heart and all the comfort and happiness of the world. That is a false gospel. John Piper stated once, but Jesus comes in his name of the Father, 
in this humanity, he humbles himself and becomes obedient to whom? To his father. How humble? How obedient? Obedient to the point of death. We see that in Philippians 2.8, which I quote all the time. They could see it coming and they didn't like it. If the Messiah is like this, then we will have to be like this. If God is pleased with this kind of self-denial in the Messiah, then he will look for it in us. We don't want that. Therefore, we will not come. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. This is not uniquely a Jewish problem. This is a human problem. And then John Piper goes to say, this is John Piper's problem, perhaps his main problem. And this is your problem, perhaps your main problem. It is a great bondage. And Jesus came into the world to set us free from our slavery to the approval and praise of ourselves and others. So this emphasizes what A.W. Tozer explains in The Pursuit of God, which I just want to continue that. This self cannot be removed by methods or instructions. It is by God's ordinance alone. You guys, this morning when I wrote the script, which by the way, this was a while ago, um, my mom was telling me about Paul Washer's wife's testimony. Um, I'm going to paraphrase it very briefly, so if you want to go watch it, it's on YouTube. I definitely recommend watching it. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because my mom said she was so moved because she could relate to Mr. Washer's wife. Mrs. Washer thought she was saved for many years by her own merit until she was at one of the preachings of her husband and saw a prostitute come in. And she realized that that was exactly her. After asking Pastor Washer if he thought she was saved, he told her he couldn't determine that because it is God's work and it is not by his saying. So instead, he told her to pray. And she prayed for hours and hours until late at night, she woke up Pastor Washer in tears and said to him that she finally understood. She finally had understood that it is it was not by her own merit. She could do nothing. It was all God's work. I really recommend you guys watching her testimony, but the reason I tell you this is because of my mom. My mom was married to my father when she first came to the church and she was baptized, but it wasn't actually until recently in the past years that she has actually come to understand the gospel and what salvation is. She explains to me constantly that thinking you are in Christ is solely based in merit, but that's in contrast to when God truly saves you. Because when God saves you, it is his work of deep brokenness over your sin in you so that you might drop all hope that you have in meriting your salvation and instead trust alone in what Jesus did on the cross, that he paid your fine for you, but not only that, the Father adopts you and delights in you, not because of what you have done, but because of who he is. True saving faith drops all hope of salvation in the glory of man, which is what our human nature desires. That is when the self-denial comes. I can see this faith in her, you all. She has been bearing fruit. She's not perfect, but I have never seen her bear fruit like this. But she seeks God in his word, and you can tell that she's being sanctified as she surrenders herself to come to know Christ more. And I love this quote by A.W. Tozer, which says, Let us beware of tinkering with our inner life in hope ourselves to rend the veil. God must do everything for us. Our part is to yield and trust. We must confess, forsake, repudiate the self-life. 
and then reckoned it crucified. We must be careful to distinguish this lazy quote-unquote acceptance from the real work of God. And when he means acceptance, he's trying to say the little prayer that you pray, that doesn't actually make you saved. A little accept Christ? No. Receive the gospel and repent. That is biblical. Acceptance with the little prayer is not found in the Bible. We must insist upon the work being done. We dare not rest content with the neat doctrine of self-crucifixion. That is to imitate Saul and spare the best of the sheep and the oxen. Insist that the work be done in very truth and it will be done. The cross is rough and it is deadly, but it is effective. And it does not keep its victim hanging there forever. There comes a moment when the work is finished and the suffering victim dies. After that is the resurrection, glory and power and the pain is forgotten for joy that the veil is taken away and we have entered an actual spiritual experience in the presence of the living God, because that is the point, God himself. In verse 45, our Lord says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe my words? Knowing God, loving God, glorifying God, is knowing and loving Jesus. They are one. The scriptures point to this. So be in the word of God. Love God for who he is. Embrace his word, Old and New Testament. For that is where you will truly know this God you say you love and he will conform you and you will know Christ Jesus whom has saved you. The Old and the New Testament witness and speak of him. You will only know that by being in them. God is so loving and he loves you and he loves you so much. That is why Christ came on the cross and that is why I preach this offensive message because I love you too and I have known him and I can't not tell you this know him he does conform us and sanctify us more and more and so i want to end off with this prayer from pursuit of god which is so beautiful he says lord how excellent are thy ways and how devious and dark are the ways of man show us how to die to our selfish desire that we may rise again to the newness of life rend the veil of our self life from the top down as thou didst rend the veil of the temple we would draw near in full assurance of faith we would dwell in thee in daily experience here on this earth so that we may be accustomed to the glory when we enter thy heaven to dwell with thee in there in jesus name amen You can find more information on our website, www.deepbiblestudies.com, where you will also find the calendar to go along with the book that we will be studying. You can also find us on Instagram, at Deep Bible Studies, and Facebook, where you can know every single time we post a new podcast. Also, we have an email, contact at deepbiblestudies.com, where you can ask us any questions and we will be sure to get back to you. I hope you have a wonderful day and see you next time.